When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to an episode number 595 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We are coming about a, a couple hours after Duke defeats Wake Forest 77-69 in what was a, a really physical back-and-forth game that went down to the final minutes and, and really was in doubt for most of the game. But Duke emerged victorious. They are 19-5 and in the season, 10-3 and in the ACC. That was a big one as far as the ACC standings go. I am Donald One. I am your host for this episode. Jason Evans was at Cameron wearing his lucky now Big Four shirt. It again. is lucky, baby. Yeah. And, and the camo CNN hat. You weren't wearing, you're not wearing it now, but you were wearing it during the game. We got a nice little creepy photo uh, from one of our one of the people that we've uh, uh, talked about for something that's coming down the line. And he was like, yeah, Jason's wearing the same thing he wore Saturday. Um, <laughs> and like I said, it ain't crazy hey, it if it works. It worked, man. You got to go back to what's working. You got to go with what's working. Um, Jason, I know we have a lot to talk about with this game. So we're going to say, usually we talk about you or whenever one of us is in Cameron, what it's like being in Cameron for that game. But you've been there all weekend. So we're going to talk yeah. about your weekend after the break. We'll talk about was, everything you've gotten into. Donald, it was it was a busy week. I got a lot of stories to tell. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. So we're going to save that for after the break. We're going to start as we normally do with our headlines. And I feel like a lot of people thought Jason, that we were going to record early because we got a ton of headlines in Man, they're, they've been flowing. They've been moving immediately. <laughs> um, apologies for everyone. I did not get, but there was a, there's some really good ones here. Um, Paul Downing uh, wrote in and he wrote Mitchell, the magnificent Mark leads the March as Duke defeats wake forest. I thought that was good. Josh Dill had a little bit of a different uh, take on this game. Uh, I liked his, his uh, one. He said, we weathered wake wire to wire worriedly. Um, I thought that was a great use of alliteration. But also, I know a lot of people I was talking with a lot of friends during this game. Some were very excited about things they saw, Jason, and some were not. Um, there were some there were some things that uh, really uh, 
uh, aided in the struggling and the frustration of some of this game. And we'll talk about all of that in a little bit. Jason, uh, Anthony Scary, of course, he, you know, Sherry, he writes in quite a bit for us. I don't know if this is the headline. He sent in a couple of things that he did, but I'm going to combine it into a headline because I think when you combine it into a long headline, it works. Houdini had to be in Cameron. Duke's resilience was magic. Wake's effort was an effect. And the officiating was an illusion. And he has magic effect and illusion in air quotes. Because, yeah, we know the officiating. We're not going to talk about it yet, Jason. We're not going to talk oh. about it yet. Oh, we got to talk, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, we going to talk about the We are going to talk about the officiating. TV Teddy was in the building. That's all a lot of people need to know about this game. Um, there's my there's voice, one, by that way, Donald, my, my voice, if I, you know, if I don't sound great, I was so I was fortunate enough to be in the front row behind the scores table and mm-hmm. close enough so that the wake bench and TV Teddy and the other officials could hear me. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little something. I, I was I was talking to TV Teddy a lot. A I, lot. I, whenever TV Teddy is within earshot of me, I talk to him a lot too. And I will tell you, he usually responds back, not like in a bad way. It's a very you know good banter that we've had over the years. Um, so I, I, I I'm, I'm sure there was some nice banter between you and TV Teddy, like old times. And Jason, there's a couple more I want to do. Nigel Sat brought in a couple of good ones. Uh, the first one he said, and of course, I know you now know about this, but he goes, "Bling it on." Crazy's icy chain and Wake's icy game yields victory to the Devils with your friend uh, Carlos over there. Uh, Carl, he, uh, he brought with a DDMF chain. Everyone knows what DDMF stands for in this podcast. Um, but he had the chain rocking and and Carl. People love need that to know chain. Where you got it, man. We people know love you got that it. chain. That's it. We're just asking for several hundred people who have emailed us about that <laughs> chain. Uh, and then finally, there was another one that Nigel Sapp wrote in, and he wrote Puxatani flip. Signs of a spring awakening muddled by familiar winter woes. I thought that was good. And then finally, Jason, I think another thing that we're going to talk about quite a bit in this game, Josh Levinson wrote in and he wrote, Shire calls the six man's number. Crazies deliver vintage Cameron. And Jason, we are that part right there. And let's, you know what? Let's just start with that. Start with that. Yes. That was, I'm just calling that my play of the game because that's easy to do right this moment because I thought it was, it was a very pivotal moment. And Jason, you were right there when it happened. I know you were standing, you were you're sitting right behind the scoreboard. So tell us what happened in that moment that led to the vintage Cameron coming into effect against Wake Forest. Yeah. So this was an amazing moment in the game. And by the way, I want to apologize in advance. I don't have my usual notes with lots of stats and and times noted and things like that. I literally got back to my room about 10 or 15 minutes ago. I did a lot of stuff in the post-game press conferences, we're doing it live. Just so it's yeah. fine. Live, live this is, broadcast. This is exactly you, you Exactly. But so let's talk about that moment. Uh, So what happened was there was a play at the other end where Mark Mitchell almost actually Mark Mitchell basically knocked the ball off the wake wake forest and it went out of bounds. But they well they called it for wake. They they allowed wake to keep the ball. I'm telling you, Donald, like the crowd, we were going bonkers when that happened and wake proceeded to score. And so there was sort of a, a, a weird play. The ball, for some reason, bounced all like I'm not sure if you can see this on television ball bounced all the way from the baseline all the way across half court to to where John Shire was standing and he was disgusted at the refs at that moment and Shire got the ball and threw it back to the refs and so you know it's like you know when you're when your coach is suddenly like involved in what's happening in the court like everyone paid a little more attention to him at that moment and John started waving his arms to get the Duke crowd going Donald the place lit up i mean it and jason real quick 
as that happened, right, I don't know if you saw this from your vantage point because he was facing the court, and I know he was kind of maybe turned away from where you were, but as he was doing that, from TV vantage point, when they zoomed in on him, it looked like he was still talking to the ref. He was still saying something about the play, and as he was doing it, he was just kind of like, you know, and I thought he was, you know, kind of motioning in a way about something that happened on the court, but then he turned. And when he turned all the way towards the court and then looked across the way towards section 17 and the crazies, that's when you could tell, okay, he's actually trying to fire this, fire this crowd up. Yeah. And and then Jeremy Roach immediately buries a three pointer. And like, I thought Cameron was loud and then Roach buried that three pointer. Cameron got really loud. So, so I'm going to take us right away to the post-game press conference because somehow I'm sitting in the press conference and people are asking questions. I'm sort of waiting my turn. No one's asking John about that, about that moment, about him. Look, it, coaches don't get involved in games like that very often. And John especially is a guy who doesn't show his emotions. He's very even keeled. And so eventually I was like, guys, I got I to gotta speak up and ask a question. So have a listen as I ask John Shire about that big moment and have a listen to what his response is. John, you had that moment in the second half where you tossed the ball to the refs. And then you really got the crowd involved in the game. The camera got as loud as I've heard it in a while in that moment. Was there something conscious there? Was it just your own pure emotion? I mean, take me through what you were sort of thinking as you were waving your arms to get everybody up. You know, I was just uh, just emotional. You know, just emotional. Like, I just, uh, I don't think this group, and look, that's on us to prove it. Uh, we'll be right there at the end of this thing. I'm just telling you guys, like, I, I just, I believe in these guys so much. And uh, we've been through a lot in the first two years. Like, this is my first two years. The support of the crowd has been incredible. And this is a key game for us. It was a key moment. And I was fired up because Mark Mitchell made a heck of a play, you know, on the sideline. He had great hands. And, and again, just like I don't expect our guys to be perfect, officiating is never going to be perfect. That has nothing to do with it. The ball came my way, and I just – I want to shoot it at first. <laughs> but uh, I knew I couldn't do that. And uh, I just – it was just how I felt in that moment. And uh, Cameron, they're great. They always respond to you. The, the the fans, the students, they always respond. And that, to me, is what makes this place different and special. And Jeremy Roach responded with a three. Yeah, and that's great when that happens. And you just uh, – I just um, – now, I wanted us, I, I thought we had a lead there in the first half just to get separation. And um, you know, I think these guys, there's so much noise sometimes. And I just want them to keep believing in themselves. Like, keep believing in this group. We have everything you need. Just, uh, you need to keep growing. You need to keep learning. And I trust how many times we've seen Jeremy Roach and Kyle Filipowski in a two-man game. And uh, I knew where he was going in when I left his hands. So I loved First of all, hysterical that he's like, I wanted to shoot it. <laughs> the entire shoot shoot, press man. room. Shoot shoot. Yeah, it's mentality. The entire press room just started cracking up when he said that. But what I really loved, and you, you, know, you can't, you can hear it, but you can't see it. When he had that moment where he said, look, we're going to be right there at the end of this thing. He, would, he looked down at, at, like right next to him is the, is the box score. You know, the coaches have it there so they can reference things in it when they're doing the postgame press conference. But you saw him look down at it and sort of, you know, look at what his team had done. An impressive win over a really good Wake Forest team. As we spoke about in the preview, Donald, the Wake Forest team that over the course of, of 
February so far has been top five in the country. A clearly a top 20, top 25 at the worst team on the entire season is this Wake Forest club. And John looked down at his, at his box score, looked at what his guys had done. And he turned to all of us and he said, we're going to be there at the end. I'm telling you that kind of confidence from him was surprising to me. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to play that so everyone could hear it both, you know, for the amusement of him talking about his emotions and wanting to shoot the ball, but also for that moment that I think was a really, a really big and really interesting moment. But also I think when we talk about John Shire's, you know, short career so far, I think that's the first time he's been that demonstrative and in turning towards the crowd and asking yeah. for their yeah. help, their support, right? Like that's what it's for. I mean, we saw, you know, you talk about it's not, it's, it's a, a rare thing that, that we see that, but we were blessed to see it for, you know, 42 years. Coach K would do that from time to time in a yep. way to kind of motivate not just the, the crowd, but also his team. Because as you mentioned, usually when that happens, he's like calling the coaches calling for everyone to get active. Everyone gets active. That I'm talking from, from the person all the way at the top of Cameron to the guys on the floor, the band, the cheerleaders, the people who probably are in the in, outside at the, uh, at the food stands, everybody gets animated into this point and it helps make Cameron what Cameron is. And I think that was the point is it made Cameron come alive in a way that we haven't seen yet this year. Right. I, I think we we've talked about how we wanted to get loud and yeah, sure. It gets loud and, and it's going to, you know, we're going to need that energy. This team's going to need that energy because it's clear at certain points that Cameron has to be the energy source for a team that may not have it at that particular moment in time. And, there, and we'll talk about some of the frustrating moments of this game. That's when Cameron needs to come alive. And I think that was a, a pure moment, like a pure organic moment where John Shire recognized, hey, we cannot do this moment by ourselves. And that's where the six man needs to come in. So hats off to you, Jason, and everybody else and, and Cameron for providing that moment for us. Yeah. And, and look, while we're on it, by the way, I, I don't necessarily have like the good and the bad prepared the same kind of way. So we're going to jump around a little bit, but I think this is going to help us to get to some other things we're talking about. I just wanted to reflect on a couple of things that Shire's talked about in the press conference, because I think that they lead us right into some of the key factors in this game. First of all, he led off by talking about how great Kyle Filipowski and Mark Mitchell were. Hmm. He, he said, he said these, he goes, Mark and Flip were men. Anyone who doubts them is like crazy. <laughs> he, he, he just kept, he's like, they were men tonight. Those guys played super hard. I mean, you look at Mark Mitchell's line, 23 points, eight rebounds, two block shots. Uh, he drew five fouls. Like he got fouled five times. Kyle Filipowski's line, 21 points, 10 rebounds. He also had two block shots. He had, uh, you know, two assists. Two assists. Flip, by the way, drew eight fouls. Eight fouls Flip drew. I cannot even tell you how important it was in this game that Efton Reed and then eventually Andrew Carr both fouled out. Both Efton Reed was in foul trouble the entire game. And you saw how important he was to wake. Like when he when they got him in toward the end, they were like they're feeding him and feeding him, trying to get him going because it, it was it was so key. It changed the game plan for Wake to not be able to have those guys available. He got into foul trouble so quickly that Steve Forbes had no choice but to take him out of the game. We talked about yeah, how he yeah. likes to keep those guys in the game because he's like, I trust these guys. But he got into foul trouble in like the first minute and a half of the game, and he's like, I have to sit this guy down. That changed the ball game for Wake. It changed the game plan, as you mentioned. And and when you look at some of these stats, right? You mentioned Kyle Filipowski stats. You know, 
the one thing that you didn't mention, he had he had two blocks, he had two assists, he had a steal. He was seven for eight from two, right? So he was really being energetic inside, right? He may have had a bad shooting night, but he had a, a, he, a but he let off the game with that three, and I think again that set the tone. But also, you talk about Warren Mitchell, Jason, third game in the row. Ken Palm lists him as the MVP of this game, and third game in the row. I agree with Kim Palm. He's right. Yeah, Mark no Mitchell question. Was everywhere. His motor was excellent. And again, on both sides, he's engineering. I mean, he had one block where it, it was like a Zion block. Like he, like the yeah. ball went up and then Mark Mitchell went up even higher. And was it was great. But also what he did on that play, Jason, is he tipped it. Like he blocked it to himself, then drove the length of the floor and got a, and he should, and this again, the, the referee stepping, he should have been, he should have got to the line. Yeah. Because he got, he got he just absolutely thrown into the first row of the stands. But again, that motor is, he said, hey, we need we need some energy at this point. I'm going to block it. I'm going to gather it. I'm going to dribble the length of the floor, and I'm going to try and make a play. That's exactly what you want from your guys. And again, Kyle Filipowski, I will say this. Again, the shooting part I thought was a little bit frustrating because there were some shots that, that should have gone down. We had so many shots that went three quarters of the way down and popped back out. Oh man, Flip had one that rolled all the way around. That was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it touched all the net, but the bottom of it. But Jason, this is the first game in a while where I looked where it looked like he was having at least some fun out there. Like he had some points where, yeah, he was getting hacked, he was getting drilled, but there were some times where he hit some and went through contact, and he kind of gave one of those primal yells. And I'm like, yo, that man is exerting himself out there. He's also having some fun doing it. That's what we've been missing from Kyle Filipowski right there. And again, it was it was a balanced half, right? It wasn't just like he poured it on the second half. First half, excellent. Second half, excellent. Yeah, so John Shire, by the way, also talked about the condensed rotation in the second half because Mark Mitchell, Kyle Filipowski, and Jared McCain, all three of those guys never came out of the game in the second half. And uh, Shire was asked about it, and he was like, you know, it's really hard to take Mitchell or Flip off the court when they're playing as great as they're playing, as long as they're playing defense and battling on every play, he's like, I, I can't sub for them because they're playing. They're in such a good groove. And I, I, you know, I can't sub them out. And hand in hand with the two of them was Jared McCain, 17 points, 10 rebounds, Donald. I'm, I'm about to play a little more sound from the locker room. This is not from the press conference. This is the locker room. This is me wandering around talking to the Duke players after the game. And I'm telling you the press like everywhere I went, you know, I'd sort of come in on a conversation that was already started with another reporter. And that reporter was inevitably asking everyone else, how is Jared McCain such an amazing rebounder? It was hysterical. Everywhere I went, people are like, Jared McCain had another double-double in rebounds. He had another 10 rebounds. It is crazy how good a rebounder Jared McCain has turned into. So I want to play a little bit of sound from Kyle Filipowski. First, a reporter asks him, about Jared McCain's rebounding, and then you're going to hear a question from me. You talked about Donald, how physical the game was. I specifically asked Kyle. I got to tell you, folks, he had scrapes all over his arm. Like, Kyle looked like he'd been to battle, and I asked him about that. You're going to like his answer, so have a listen to this. On those same lines, how much has is, is Jared's rebounding kind of helped huge. you and everything? Yeah, huge. Team, yeah. yeah, I mean, Jared's, you know, Jared's probably the best guard rebounder I've seen ever. Um, just just his ability to and his effort to get on the glass and give us some extra chance points um, on the offensive end but also you know when when me and Mark are banging inside and um, 
and, and trying to get their their bigs out of the play. Um, him coming in and, and helping us too is big time. Is he doing anything differently these last four or five games that he's got double figures? I think he's just you know, I think he's just being very um, intentional. You know, he's he's giving it his all when he's out there, and and he knows that he can. Um, you know, slip slip in and, and get some rebounds. So it's been great for us. Kyle, I see scratches on your arm. You were holding your head at one point. It, it seemed really physical inside, but you finished better than usual today. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you need a little little kick in the butt to, to you know, get yourself going. And, um, you know, sometimes that's just, you know, how I'm wired with, you know, needing, needing to feel that contact um, in order to, you know, get myself going. All right, I, I love the way Kyle was like, sometimes you got to get your butt kicked a little bit, get it, you know, get get punched around to really get going. I'm not so sure <laughs> that I feel like that's really Kyle Filipowski's game. Honestly, well, Jason, he struggled at that a Jason, little bit, but yeah. You're a movie buff. I know you've seen Beer Fest before. Uh, you know how they're like, oh man, I had the shiner. I wish I could keep it as motivation the rest of the season. And every so often, yeah. his friends would punch him in the face. If I need to come down there and slap Kyle Filipowski in the <laughs> face every every week or so to keep him motivated the rest of the year, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to make the, the, the eight-hour round-trip drive to make that happen. But Jason, I think when you talk about Jeremy Kane, of course, you didn't hear this because you, you were at the game. You, you had the best vantage point. But on TV, they were talking about, first of all, they talked about how after the game the other night, with his grandparents in town, he went and shot like 500 shots after the game. We, we, they stole that, that from the us. Yeah, they, way, they, I, they, I got to meet his grandparents. They're, they're really nice folks. It was fun. Yeah, I got to so meet them. The so the fact yeah. that he was, the fact that he, again, that work ethic has really been paying off in that. And again, he didn't have a great shooting night, but he had a couple of crucial threes that I thought really, again, helped us kind of secure this game. But on, on defense, on the rebounding, especially, even those, those like, uh, like kind of like Travis Alvarado, like half steal, half rebound type of deals that he does. They were talking about how he takes a lot of, of his game from Dennis Rodman, where he would just sit there and Dennis Rodman, what he used to do when he was on the Pistons and again on the bulls is sometimes during warmups, everyone else is taking shots. He's like, yo, I don't need to take shots. Like ain't nobody giving me the ball to take no shots. That's not my game. He would sit on the bench and watch his team shoot and see where the misses were going because he then knew, okay, if I memorize, okay, if Jeremy Roach hits the sh- shoots the shot over here, when he misses it, it's generally to the right or it's generally to the left. He ends up in that spot every single time. And I think that is a master of the game. That's a guy who really is studying the art of basketball and not just the mechanics and the fundamentals. He is studying the art of basketball and is showing so much out there in the fact that he some he comes up with these rebounds because he knows where on the floor to be at that moment when that if that ball goes in again if it goes in great if it goes off the rim jerry mccain doesn't even have to jump sometimes for these balls he just is in the right place because all of a sudden everyone turns around and he's passing the ball back out to something a couple of those times he passed it around and ended up in the hands of like jeremy roach who like hit a couple uh hit a three i think even mark mitchell off of an offensive rebound hit a three so this is this is the type of game where i'm like jerry mccain it's almost cerebral how he plays and especially with rebounding it's terrific to see that yeah and and john shire talked about it in the post game and shire said jared mccain is a guy who will do whatever it takes to win and shire mentioned that it feels like you know we're sort of playing three point guards at the same time and that that means we have to gang rebound and he said jared is just unbelievably tough he fights so hard even though he's outsized he plays you know he plays bigger guys on defense and he gets in there and mixes it up. 
um, when it comes to the rebounding. And, and by the way, you know, we were talking about how Mitchell drew five fouls and Filipowski drew eight fouls. Jared McCain also drew five fouls in the second half, especially late in the second half. Duke held Wake at arm's length by getting to the free throw line, something this team has struggled with mightily in recent games. They have not been getting the free throw line. And, and in the first half, you know, Duke only shot eight free throws. It's okay. That's a decent number, not a ton. But in the Better second half. Zero, which was yeah, res- right, exactly. <laughs> um, but they were only four of eight on those eight free throws. And, and like they missed the front of the one and one. And, and believe me, the crowd was murmuring a lot about Duke missing free throws. Second half, game on the line. Duke takes care of business. 14 of 17 free throws in the second half. 14 of 17, better than 82%. That was big, big in this game. And a big part of it was Jared McCain. You know, that leads me to something else that I want to talk about, which is the defense. What went well is Jason, in the pregame, we talk in country from a lot of different spots on the floor. From the free throw line, they were only 69%. From three-point range, they were 23%. From the floor, they were 39%. And when we talk about one thing that we need to, to do, because again, you had the Efton Reeds and then those guys, the taller guys that really can bang down low is win the rebounding battle. We did 41 to 37 offensive rebounding. We got one third of all of our misses, which was great because that contributed to a lot of second chance points. And then even somewhere it didn't where, you know, we were able to get it around. We just didn't get the shot again. That was the most frustrating part. There was one where again, Jeremy McCain runs around, grabs a rebound, misses the shot mark mitchell grabs it and comes back out and like Corey alexander on tv's like this is this has got to end in a three at this point and it just again went nine tenths of the way down pop back out and he's like that's super unlucky because that is a play that deserved there were so many plays that we got the rebound off as a rebound and it deserved a second chance point but we just didn't get it i just like the motor and the hustle and the energy that we brought because again that's something that we've talked about in, in recent weeks is something that's been lacking in some of these games we didn't have to worry about that tonight. Even when Cameron got lit, the energy was already present in this game. Even if we were going back and forth, I never for once said, hey, our energy is lacking here. And it's it's, it's interesting how a frustrating game can lead to the, some of these moments. But I think the hustle in there is what makes the, this game kind of fun. Some of these guys were having some fun plays, and it turned into magical points for Duke. Yeah, so you mentioned about Wake's shooting and, and I mean, I guess this is, I, I would almost fire all this under the bad, not the good that, that Duke held wake to 23% from three. And and you may be like, you know, wow, that's, that's, I mean, that's great for Duke. We talked extensively in the preview about how good wake is at shooting three pointers and for them to only hit six out of 26, 23% is a really, really low number for them. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Some of it was, some of it was Duke's defense. Sure. I'm going to give us credit where credit's due. Some of it was. Wake was just taking some bad shots. Wake was missing some yeah. shots. They just plain don't miss. I mean, Damari Monsanto is a really good three-point shooter. He was two of nine. Cameron Hildreth is a really good And those shooter. two came in a row in the yeah, first half. Right, exactly. Back to back. Yeah, to get Wake back in a game that was starting to get away from them. But but like Cameron Hildreth is a dude who's usually knocking down shots left and right. He was one of nine on the game. Oh, of three from three-point range. Um, Boofy Miller who's a guy who usually scores like 14 points a game, only had three points in this game and, and couldn't hit a shot. In fact, they, they pretty much benched him throughout much of the second half, how poorly he was playing. Um, some of it is Duke. There's no question about it. Some of it is Wake just having like an out-of-body experience. Like in the first half, they were hitting like the side of the backboard and stuff. 
I'm sorry, this Wake team is usually better than that. I'll take it. I'll take it, especially because Duke wasn't shooting much better. In fact, Duke is probably shooting worse. <laughs> but for Wake, that's a much bigger part of their game plan. I mean, look, you, you take the good with the bad, right? It's it's interesting because you have this moment where some of these games or some of these teams come in there and shoot the lights out. We've seen it so far this year. This game, it felt like it was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. There was a six-minute stretch, Jason, where nobody made a shot. Not a free throw, not a not a three-pointer, not a dunk, nothing. And so it, it, it was, again... It looked like great defense, but again, half is on both sides. Half the game, half of the uh, shots were going down eight, nine tenths, and then would pop back out. But again, it's being resilient. And I'm going to talk in a bad about some things that happened at halftime um, that you didn't see, Jason. Uh, but it, 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 it kind of summed up the first half for Duke. But I think the resilience factor was there. And I, I never thought that dissipated throughout the game. The fact that even when, you know, the chips were down and felt like Wake Forest is going to try and make a run. It just throughout the frustration of, of not making shots and not sometimes not making threes, Duke was able to hang in there and, and make those key moments. And again, the guys that stepped up that we've talked about, Jeremy Kane, Kyle Filipowski, Mark Mitchell, they stepped up at really opportune times. Jeremy Roach had some incredible clutch threes uh, late in the game to really help us really make it where it was like an eight, nine, 10 or, or eight, nine point game as opposed to a two- or three-point game, which is what it looked like it was going to be if he didn't make those shots. Yeah, look, hey, you mentioned Jeremy Roach. My last thing I have in the good, I want to talk about Duke's assists. Jeremy Roach led the team with five assists. Jared McCain had four assists. Duke had 14 assists on 26 made baskets. That's an assist rate of 53, almost 54%. Again, we talked in the pregame. Wake is one of the best teams in the country at preventing you from getting assists. They force you to go one-on-one, and they are great at not allowing you to get good looks at the basket. Donald, Duke got good looks at the basket, especially in the second half. 48 points. This Duke scored 48 points in the second half against a good Wake Forest team. 48. That's a big old number. Now, look, don't want to talk too much about the first half, first half, but that second half, man, and for Duke to get that many assists against this Wake team that, uh, you know, again, is just a, a really good team at making you do the wrong thing. Duke just continually did the right thing, especially in that second half. And I think it's a it's a great sign of progress. This, I, I, I couldn't be more thrilled with this win. This is a really, really good win. It was the second half, I think, especially you mentioned 14 assists and 26 made baskets. It was really 14 on 25 made baskets. The 26th basket, as you know, was Mark Mitchell catching the rebound. Yeah, exactly. And was just like, oh, you're not going to guard me. I'm just going to no drive one there. Yeah, there's no one home. I'm just going to drive the length of the floor and dunk it. So um, happy, happy to happy to concede uh, a non assist on that play, because that play, again, was made. It was, was what made it close out time. By the way, Las Vegas. The Vegas line on this game was seven and a half. Mark Mitchell's runaway dunk <laughs> makes it eight. And then Hunter Salas gets fouled. Wake, a great free throw, free throw shooting team. Hunter Salas is 80-something percent from the free throw line. Misses, misses the, front the, front of the, one, the front of the one-to-one. No one goes for the rebound, but he loses out of bounds. But, like, if you had, if you had Wake, you just, I mean, like, if, <laughs> there were a million ways you could have covered that game and you didn't cover. That's a, that was a crushing, crushing non-cover. 
as we speak, I'm watching uh, uh, Scott Van Pelt of Sports Center to see if it makes the bad beat section. Oh, that's um, a bad. That is a really bad beat. That's a really bad beat. We'll see. I, we'll, we'll stay tuned uh, to that. But Jason, let's let's wrap up the good here. Let's take a quick break. On the other side, we'll talk about some of the things that went wrong in this game. There's a lot of things that we need to talk about, and also the play of the game. There's a lot to the, lot to talk about, and then also Jason. We'll talk about what you did in Durham this weekend. So if you want to hear about Jason's day off, stay tuned. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. All right, Jason, we're back and we're going to start with the stuff that needs to we need to work on for this game. And I want to lead with this. You weren't able to see this because this was during the halftime show. Jay Williams and and Seth Greenberg were on uh, the show. And even in the lead up to the halftime show, you know how they have that like under four TV timeout delay. Hey, yeah, they do a halftime little 30 seconds. They flash to the screen and they flash to the the studio. And Jay Williams is just you can see he's seething and he's just like, yo, we need to play better and just runs off. And they're like laughing. He's like, it's not funny. We, We need to play better. So we get to halftime and halftime. He absolutely lit into this team. It's we, I was talking, talking to my, my buddy, Jeff, about how we haven't really felt someone from the brotherhood really go after this team. Right. And say, hey, this team is not playing up to the standards. Well, Jay will absolutely lit into them. And he said that they were not playing with the urgency that was necessary. They sur- he was talking about how they surrendered five dunks to Wake Forest. And that's not something that we do. He's vis- visibly furious at how the team was playing. He obviously, you know, then said, hey, here's what they need to do to get back on track. We're up four points. This is great. We're playing terribly. We're up four points. But it was the first time in a long time that I've seen a a Duke member of the Brotherhood take this team or any Duke team to task for how they've been playing publicly. And, of course, he has a platform. He's on ESPN. He's able to do that. Absolutely. It's it's interesting that he did that. And, of course, I thought right as you come out in the second half – they came out with some a little bit of uh, lethargy 
And immediately John Shire calls a timeout and is like, this is not what we're doing here. We're not, we're not going to start the half off like this. And I think it got better from there. But yeah, there was a moment there where we had to, we had to sit there and, and I don't know if they heard it. They, they probably did in the locker room. I don't know if they've seen it yet. Um, but yeah, J- Jay Williams really came in there and said, yo, this is not a Duke team that we need to be celebrating right now. This is not, this is not how we play. We need to play a lot better. Uh, so I'll tell you that obviously I haven't heard what Jay had to say, but my <laughs> halftime came and suddenly my phone started blowing up. I, I I was getting text messages left and right from people who were like, oh man, Jay is calling these boys out. Like he mm-hmm. is, he is laying into them. So I'm, I'm going to be very interested in, in hearing a little bit more about that. Uh, two things I'll say about it. The first one is, I mean, he's not wrong. In the first half, you know, Duke only had 29 points. Duke was, I, I was frankly terrified of what the second half would bring because I, I thought there's no way Wake will continue to shoot as poorly as they did in that first half. They're a better team than that. And I really thought that Wake was going to, you know, potentially light Duke up in the second half. I think we got very fortunate that they were only marginally better in the second half than they were in the first at shooting those those three-pointers that they usually make so many of. So, you know, Jay wasn't wrong that, that Duke wasn't playing great. But then the other thing is, I just think it's fair to say this. I think to some extent, Jay's trying to make a name for himself by laying into Duke a little bit, by by being the Dukey that, that is willing to call the team out. You know, there's some controversy there, and that kind of thing is a way that, that people generate clicks, get viral, that kind of thing. I mean, remember... Just like a month or so ago, Jay was on and they said to him, hey, if you're being recruited, what school would you want to go to? And he said, well, nowadays I'd want to go to UNC. I wouldn't want or to no, go. No, he was a transfer. He said, if, they, if Tran- you were in the transfer, transfer portal. portal, where would you transfer? Right. Yeah, that's right. And people were like, what? Come on. You know, I, there's a piece of me that wonders if maybe he's doing, look, he's doing some of it because he loves Duke and he has high expectations for Duke. There's a little piece of me that wonders if he's doing a little bit of it to sort of not make a name for himself, but to sort of distinguish himself as someone who's willing to take on Duke, even though he went there. I mean, look, he when they were at the college game day, because, you know, of course, he's on college game day. Uh, when they were at UNC, he made no bones about the fact. He's like, yeah, UNC, you guys are playing well, but there's there's absolutely no way I'm going to go for you today. And so he has some of that in him. But I think I don't I don't think it's what I saw tonight was not him trying to make a name for himself or trying to generate clicks. This is the man who was visibly frustrated at how Duke was playing. And unfortunately had to go on TV and talk about it and was like, I'm not going to mince words about how this team is playing and they need to play a lot better in my eyes to satisfy that they are playing at the, the level that is expected of a Duke university basketball team. So, and again, they didn't hear that at halftime. But I know, again, those are the sort of things that sometimes you need to hear, right? Sometimes I need to be like, yo, Jason, you're slipping, right? It's yeah, a way to right. get you yeah. off, get you out of your, you know, out of your whatever funk you're in or just snap you back into, hey, I need to be, you know, focused and, and driven. I get it all the time. People love to tell me how I'm off, right? But it, it's something where it it needs to happen. And I'm glad that it did because it, if in any way so it, it gets back to them, they say, hey, Jay will laid into you about your effort. Maybe it's a sign for them to say, hey, let's make it where the next time he's on the halftime show and we're playing that he doesn't have to talk about that. He gets to talk about how great a half we had. And I think that's the key here is you you live and learn and you, and you build from it. But yeah, make no make no mistake. The first half, there's a lot that went wrong uh, on our end. There's a lot that went on, you know, went wrong with everything else. 
But I think there's a lot that we could control that we didn't. And I think the urgency has to be present all the time. I thought it started off well. Middle of the first half, it kind of went away. And I think that's what Jay Will was talking about, especially with letting guys go in basically uncontested and have several dunks throughout the game. That's something that needs to change because you just can't give up those points so easily. Yeah, well, although, I mean, full credit to Hunter Salas of Wake Forest. Oh, absolutely. Guy who, he had several of those dunks. He created several of those dunks. Man, he was everything as advertised. I thought Hunter Salas was just outstanding in this game. I'm I'm eager to see him declare for the NBA draft and be gone Goodbye. from Wake yeah. <laughs> from Wake Forest. Man, he I, I thought he was a. And by the way, I thought our defense on him was as good as it could be. I I, I loved. By the way, look, we're in the bad. I shouldn't be talking about this now, but I'm I'm ref, just reflecting on stuff that I saw during the game. There are a couple times that like flip got switched on to Hunter Salas. There were several times that Mark Mitchell got found himself on Hunter Salas. Mm-hmm. And those guys, no backing down. They did a really nice job. Our big men, their ability to guard, you know, one through five to some extent, um, really showed off in this game at times. I thought they did a great job on Hunter Salas. Look, look, the, the thing I want to mention in the bad, um, let, let's, let's get to the bench. And I want to be clear that I don't really blame the bench guys for this because – they didn't get in the game because, you know, several of our starters were just playing lights out. And, you know, as I said, John Shire spoke about that. But, look, the reality is one game after Sean Stewart had such a huge impact and played so many minutes against BC, he's in there for a minute and 39 seconds. And Ryan Young only plays two minutes in this contest. Blake's and TJ Power combined to play like a, a minute and five seconds or something like that. At the end Other of the first than- half. Yeah, yeah. Other than Caleb Foster, really, you know, nobody else on this team contributed anything off the bench. Again, a lot of that is they just didn't get a chance to. But if we're being perfectly honest about the good and the bad, the, the bench play, I believe Duke, I mean, it went, yeah, Caleb Foster hit some free throws. He had four free throws. Other than that, Duke got very, very little off the bench. And that I think the reason why that is important is because one of the starters towards the end of the game was not in the game. Right. We've talked about how the fact that Tyrese Proctor has moved back into the starting lineup. We kind of had that lineup that we thought we were going to have at the start of season for the entire season. We've had to do some rotations due to injuries and whatnot. But Tyrese Proctor, and I know he got hurt. It it didn't seem, it didn't seem, it seemed a little more innocuous on TV than it was led to, you know, than end up being. Right. Felt like, oh, yeah, he kind of got knocked. Okay. He's going to the bench, whatever. But he never came back. uh, No, he was for a long time. He was definitely woozy. And in the postgame, John Shire said, I need to go check on him. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, th- there's little question that Tyrese Proctor was affected by getting whacked the way he did. And his, I think his head hit the ground. Um, and, and, and yeah, there, there, there's a and, major and no foul call. I, I oh, of course not. Yeah. Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, are we ready for that yet? We, not yet. Or, or, not yet. Not, not yet. yet. We're waiting. Not okay, yet. good. I, I I wanted to make sure I'm getting myself I'll give you the, ready. I'll give you the sign. Yeah. But yeah, no, Tyrese. I mean, um, look, as long as we're talking about Tyrese Proctor, he and Caleb Foster combined to go 0 for 9 from the field. Like, mm-hmm. we we got very little at our point guards. Very, very little in this game. Yes, Tyrese Proctor got got banged up. You know, maybe concussion. It could be a concussion. You know, who knows? Uh, but but our point guard play. And, and this, has become, this has become a problem that's kind of been consistently there in recent weeks. Um, if this team's going to get to that level that John Shire talked about, you know, they're going to be there at the end, like he says. I think that point guard play has got to get better. 
it has to get better and we have to get more production from that from that position on the floor. I mean, no matter how you slice it, Tyrese Proctor played 25 minutes and had zero points. That, that's just not something that we expect yeah. from him. I know that's not something that he expects from himself. And and it's only not, two assists. Only two assists. I've been talking about this assists. for several games. He, this he is like still his... had a plus 16, but like again, yes. that's but so the, he affected the game in other ways, but offensively, we need him to be involved in this ball game and for large stretches of this game he wasn't again i know he was woozy towards the end of the game but we we went with caleb foster because caleb foster was deemed to be more effective on offense and on defense than tyrus proctor was during the game and and again i i don't think caleb foster had the best game but i thought he had some moments where he really asserted himself uh especially in defensive end you mentioned drawing some of those tough assignments he he was able to force tough shots and now you know hunter salas made some of them um, which is what he does, but he was able to force, you know, tough shots out of uh, some guys around the floor. But I, I think from that position, we need all five. If you look at the one, two, three, four, and five, doesn't matter who's in those positions. We need each of them to be great in different things. The point guard needs to be the one that distributes the ball. And right now we're not getting it from them. We're getting it from other places, which is great, but the leader has to be the guy who has the ball in his hand the most. That's the point here. And I think that's something that we're hoping can get going very, very quickly because that is something that is desperately needed in March. If you remember, Jason, last year, that's how Duke started surging. Right around this time of year, we rattled off, what, 10 wins in a row? And it was because of the fact that Tyrese Proctor started distributing the ball super well and getting his teammates involved. We need that Tyrese Proctor back ASAP. All right, are we ready? Can we do this yet? Now we're ready. Now we're, <laughs> now ready. we're ready. I thought the first half of this contest, I t- wrote a note to myself at halftime that it was the worst officiated half of basketball that I thought I'd seen in many, many years. And then I had to scratch that note out because the second half happened and the second half was as bad as the first half. I've, I've frankly never seen refs miss as many obvious, like really obvious calls, balls that go out of bounds clearly off of someone else. And they're like, no, you know, no, it was off of Duke. Oh, it was really like repeatedly missing calls that uh, they would show the replay in the stadium. And people would just be like, how do you how are you a professional referee? And you missed that call and the fouls that they didn't call. I mean, there was one time Mark Mitchell went up and literally had both arms like raked. I, I, you know, he missed the the shot. This was right after the block and he dribbled the link to the floor. And basically, he got cradled into the first row of the stands. And they were like, clean. It it was unbelievable to me. And look, I'm used to, and when I'm in Cameron, there are a lot of people who complain about the refs mercilessly. And I'm usually like, you know, give them a break. Refs aren't, you know, John Shire said in the postgame, he's like, you know, hey, refs aren't perfect. You know, they miss calls sometimes. That was about as close as John Shire was going to come to criticizing them. But and I usually don't participate in in that kind of thing. I know that these guys are they're doing their best. I figure, but man, I'm telling you, by the middle of the second half, and by, by the way, I was I was right behind the scorers table, right next to the Wake Forest bench. That's where my seats were, thanks to my buddy who's just like he doesn't want me to mention his name. He's he's the greatest. Don, you know what a mensch is? This man is a mensch. Man, yeah, he, he is awesome. <laughs> uh, these are really great seats that I was sitting in. Uh, but anyway, I was really close to the refs. I was laying into them, my friend. I was all over their butts. And there was a hysterical moment uh, where they didn't call a foul 
uh, on a on a play. I think I think Flip went up, clearly got fouled. They didn't call a foul. We were all watching the replay, and one of the assistant coaches for Wake started like interacting with us because we were yelling at the refs so much. And he was like, "Look at this replay." He's like, "Like he's an assistant coach. He should be focused on the game." Instead, he's turning around. He's talking to me. He's like, look at the replay. I'm like, yeah, look at it. We watch it together. And I'm like, see, he got fouled. The guy was like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. You know what that it was means, hysterical. Jason? You know what that means, Jason? Means what does that mean? You did your job. I did my did job. job. I took they're, him out of the game. Focused, they're not focused on the game anymore. They were focused on you. I love doing that when I'm in camera. Make sure, make, take focus on me all you want. But then you're not focused on the game. And that's what that's where you get beat. But Jason, I think the one thing is, it was it was on both sides. I think that's the thing to establish here. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Hold on. It, it was wait, on wait, both sides. They were bad. But they were worse for Duke. Well, no, hear me out. Hear me out. Because I, I hate I, I hate when people are like, oh, they just they just called all the calls for for you know Wake Forest or for other team. They didn't call them for us. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to say that they were when you know we look at for sake of example, Jalen Blakes. Hey, Jalen Blakes, you didn't have a good game, right? We'll, we'll say that. We'll, we'll tell we'll call out guys saying, hey, you didn't have a good game. Yeah. These referees led by TV Teddy Valentine did not have a good game today, and it was on both sides. Now, do I think that there was a lot of fouls that they should have called for us? Like, you know, that, you know, like you said, Kyle Filipowski looked like he had been to war. You know, Jeremy Kane was on the ground. Tyrese Proctor had to leave the game because he was hurt. There's a lot of things that happened that are demonstrable, like results, right? They're vi- visual results of them not having a good game. So I have to say that they did they did not do their job. But at the end of the day, I think the one thing that was on both sides that they just I stopped counting. I think I stopped counting at seven the number of out of bounds calls that should have gone the other blew. way. Yeah, yeah. And I, it was I, on I, both, again on both sides. It was, it was, but there was a couple where there was one I think that they overturned that they reversed. Yeah, there was one where another referee had to come over and tell Teddy like, "Yo, you're flat, you're flat out wrong on this one." And then they reviewed it, or they didn't review, but like on TV they reviewed it. They go, oh no, Teddy Valentine was right. That was a Duke. That was Duke ball. But the other guy overruled Teddy and said it was Wake ball. But the way the you know uh, Jeremy Kane never touched the ball. So there was a lot of time where there was it. It felt like they. I, I don't know what happened to them. Right? Like even 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 Teddy Valentine. We love the rag on Teddy Valentine. He like had a much worse game that I've seen him play. And and I love yelling at him like. I say that I say this with, with all respect. Like I love yelling at Teddy Valentine because every time it comes up, I need to be focused on what could go wrong and we have to fight through it. There was no way of fighting through what occurred on the court tonight. That was the problem. And I think we did a better job at handling it the Wake Forest, but we shouldn't have had to be in that position. So my last thing I'll say on it is, and you you began to allude to this, and this is why I want to mention it. Uh so I was seated in Cameron right next to someone who's really, really close to the program. I'm not going to say his name, but this is someone who has been like at Duke practices consistently for 20 plus years. Um, And he said to me at one point early in the second half, when I was starting to lose my mind about the officials and he's not someone who usually does, but I did notice he was, he started yelling. He was yelling a lot at, at Clarence Armstrong and Lee Castle more than Teddy because they were the ones a little bit closer to us. And and he said to me at one point, he said, you know what I'm afraid of? He goes, these guys have no control over this game. Someone's going to get hurt. And it was within like five minutes of that that Tyrese Proctor banged his head and got hurt. That's the concern. That's the problem when the refs lose control of a game this badly is that guys end up getting hurt. And, and you know, I I, I think and I hope that we're lucky and that nothing, you know, nothing lasting came out of it. But... 
we get upset because we want the team to win, but there's also an aspect of the safety of the players. And frankly, as poor as the officiating was in that game, they were putting the players, Teddy Valentine, Lee Castle, and Clarence Armstrong put the players in danger. And that's one of the reasons I was so upset about what was going on in that game. Yeah. And that's the that's the key here is we're not talking we're not talking about Tyrese Proctor being out towards the end of the game because he's hurt. If they don't call the foul or if they don't, you know, establish early on that hey, we can't get physical. They really let both teams be physical and you know, it felt like yeah. it felt like at least in our case, we took the brunt of that physicality. All right, Jason, there's a couple more things I have before we wrap up the bad. One is uh, this is kind of a a, a mess of ratatouille, if you will, of, of different things. I think overall, there was a lot of times where, and, and this is something that's been happening throughout the year, where we just feel it just feels like everything is just out of sorts, and we play that way. We play out of sorts, boneheaded turnovers, like throwing the ball, like not like. Hey, we're trying to make a play and and throw a ball like throwing a ball. Some of the, some the, of the turnovers were ugly. Some of, uh, we no. talked about it last game. It, that has not gone away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, missed free throws, right? Like you know, again, missing one and ones, long rebound, 50-50 balls going to the other team, and and again, you know, we got stuff four times at the rim, and and it was all four of them were were shots that we didn't go strong to the rack. I think the times that we did go strong to the rack, we ended up getting the ball in the net. But like, it, if you don't go strong. They're going to send it the other way. And I think for that, it's hard to figure out how this team is going to respond to adversity when sometimes that response is a ratatouille of mess. It just feels like it was a mess at certain points. And I think that contributes to some of the frustrating moments that we have and how we air, you know, other teams are able to keep it close and make it where I don't have to pull my hair out. I shave it. Uh, but I know you have to pull some of your hair out towards the end of the game because it doesn't feel like we have control of the situation. We are not control of the tempo. We are not control of the flow of the game. And that's where momentum kind of dissipates. Whatever momentum we gather dissipates. And when the ball is sent errantly into the stands, when you basically hand the ball to the other team, when you take an ill-advised three-pointer, when you you know blow a layup, those sort of things really take the air out of a gym. And thankfully, Cameron was able to recover from that as well. But I think, that needs to really be cleaned up because if it doesn't, a good team will pick us off if we can't get it together. Uh, look, I don't have much to add on that. I'll merely say, and 13 turnovers is a problem for this Duke team. Mm-hmm. And some of them were just butt ugly, like you say, pull your hair out kind of turnovers. I mean, but Duke just played a top 30 team and beat him by eight. So in spite of that, right? Yeah, like in yeah. spite of all we just talked about, they still got the win and against a team that has been surging, as you mentioned, one of the best teams in the country over the last couple of weeks. I, I'm very happy with that effort. But again, we're, you know, we're, we're perfectionists. We want to make sure everything is, is tied in because we know that these little things are going to mean the difference between us, you know, having a very early March or very ha- having a very early mid-April. Uh, of us playing basketball. We want to be playing in April to do that. We clean up the little things. All right, Jason, we go to the play game. I, I already said the play of the game. I think it's your play of the game. Is it is it the John Shire moment? It is absolutely the John Shire moment, which uh, my buddy who got me the tickets said, Shire gets the assist on that three-pointer by Roach, right? Because Shire had fired up the crowd so much, Jeremy Roach fed off of that, hit that three-pointer. Uh, 100% that's the play of the game. And I, I'm looking at the box score. I don't know why there isn't an assist to John Shire because I think he deserves one on that play. 
I think I think as of right now, uh, they're probably talking to the uh, statisticians and the historians over at Duke University to add one assist to John Shire's. Look, uh, he even records. even passed the ball at the beginning of the play. He passes the ball back to the refs. Look, look, he he is a team player. He's <laughs> he's a former captain. He knows what he needs to do to get the team motivated. But yes, that's the play of the game. It's the first time that uh, a play off of the court has inspired play on the court uh, for a play of the game. So that's really Amen, cool. brother. Yeah. Okay. As we wrap up, Jason, I know it's getting late here on the East Coast for both of us. Uh, I want to talk to you about your weekend because you were in Durham for a few days. You went to both games uh, over the weekend, both the Saturday and Monday, and you had some time off in between. So talk to the people. You know, I know you ran into some 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 nice, nice, cool people. Uh, you got to do a class, I want to say, on Monday. Um, yeah. So tell the people what you did. Yeah, so one of the great, great pleasures of doing this podcast, as long as we've done it, is that uh, we've managed to develop relationships with people close to the program, with parents of players and stuff like that. And this weekend was like, oh, it's just so magical and so much fun. I, so last night for the Super Bowl, I spent the entire evening, I watched the Super Bowl with Michael and Nicole Stewart, Sean Stewart's parents. I, I had a fabulous time. Michael, uh, for folks who don't know, he played in the NBA uh, Michael was a player at Cal, UC Berkeley, um, a very, very successful player at, at Berkeley. We talked a lot about his years playing against like Arizona, Miles Simon, stuff about that, stuff like that. Um, and because he went to Cal, because he grew up there, he's a huge 49ers fan. Don, I really didn't care that much about the Super Bowl until I was sitting next to a guy who was a big 49ers fan. Michael and I were just like high fiving and just yelling our butts off the entire evening. At that football game, it was a ton of fun. By the way, Michael and Nicole both said to me that they would love to be guests on the podcast. We will have them on sometime soon to to talk a little bit about you know their life as Duke parents and raising Sean. Sean was there, by the way, early on. He he left right before the Super Bowl started because the the guys were all getting together. He had practice, and then the guys were going to get together and watch the game at Christian Reeves' apartment. Um, uh, but I got to got a chance to talk to Sean a little bit. Really, really smart kid. A little bit shy. Sean's a little quiet. Michael's way louder than Sean is. First off, uh, first off, we're talking about the Super Bowl. I know we haven't talked about the Super Bowl yet. Very yeah. quickly, congrats to to Duke graduate Noah Gray on his yes. second Super Bowl ring with the Kansas City Chiefs. So congratulations to him. But also, Jason, I think we need to get him on here. Does does, does do the stewards know about the uh, about the bump? About the DBR bump? Did you did you? Oh tell yeah, them about you're that? right. You're I, I need to tell them about that. Well, wait, so the hysterical thing was, so when I first met them, someone introduced me and said, oh, this is Jason Evans. He's the guy who does that podcast. And I was like, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, the stewards don't know my podcast. Come on. <laughs> so then then Michael says to me, Michael's like, oh, yeah, how was Antarctica? I'm like, wait, you listen to the, the podcast? You know that I just went to Antarctica? And he's like, yeah. And then he says, this killed me. I, I, I swear. Michael Stewart says to me, he goes, last season when Sean was still in high school at Montverde, he said, it's kind of a, a long drive from our house to get to Montverde. Like we have to go through the woods and so like, it's like back roads and stuff. He said, every day when we drive to school, we would check to see if there was a new episode of the DBR podcast. And we'd listen to the podcast on our way to Montverde. I'm like, are you kidding me? I was, I was shocked that, that Michael and Sean Stewart are fans of the podcast. And then Donald, like you said, so this morning, that was last night. This morning I taught a class, a class. I, I was a guest lecturer in a class. Aaron Dinan is the uh, he's in the innovation and entrepreneurship. I know school. Aaron very well. Yeah. 
You know Aaron? Yeah. He wrote the Aaron. he wrote the Shashevskyville tales. Yeah. He was a class of 05, um, not class below me, but yeah, he uh when he was writing that stuff, uh writing the book, um, and like the different tales, rather those like short stories that yeah. led into a book. Yeah, I definitely remember him. So shout out Aaron Dinnan. Aaron Dinnan, a great guy. So Aaron had asked me to come in and talk to his class that he's teaching on social media and and journalism and the such. Uh, because of my connections to CNN and my connections to social media. So I came in and, and I sat and Aaron asked me questions. The kids in the class asked me questions. But as the kids are finally into the classroom, I look up and Sean Stewart, Caleb Foster and Jaden Shoot are all in this class. And I went up to Sean and I was like, dude, I've, I've lost my voice because I was screaming all night with your father. And Sean was like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, dad told me that you guys were having a good time. It was fun. The guys were, you know, it was a great class. It was a ton of fun. Aaron teaches a really interesting class. There are a couple of times I would say something and Aaron would turn it into, he'd say, see, folks, this is what I'm talking about. And I'd be like, oh, I didn't mean to make a great point. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for pretending like I made a great point. It was really fun. Really cool. A couple other things I wanted to mention just super quickly. Shout out to Ryan Young's parents who came by the Washington Duke and hung out with me for a little while, had some drinks. We talked a little bit about Ryan wanting to play a couple of years in like a fun European country or something like that. And then wanting to get into the business world. Ryan Young is going to be, Donald, I'm telling you right now, Ryan Young's going to be an incredibly successful young man. I heard stories over the weekend about how Ryan Young interacts with like some of the donors, some of the people who are connected to the program. That man knows he's networking. Ryan Young knows networking. Let me just put it that way. So I had a great time hanging out with his parents. Uh, I hung out, like I said, a little bit with uh, with Lance McCain and Gina McCain, friends of the podcast, the McCains. Uh, I also got to meet Jace, their son, who is a grad assistant on the Duke team. Um, and 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 I, I mentioned I met Gina McCain's uh, parents, uh, Jared's grandparents. They're they're really sweet. And then the last thing I wanted to mention: so I met a guy Saturday night in the Washington Duke, a man named Dan Blaylock. Dan is ninety seven years old. He lives in Washington D.C. And he drives himself like a half dozen or so times a year down to Duke basketball games. This man, 97, this dude is bright, vibrant. He is like all in on fandom and stuff like that. He's like, oh, I got to listen to your podcast. I'm like, you even know what a podcast is, my <laughs> man? Ah, I'm telling you, Dan Blaylock. I want to be Dan Blaylock when I am 97. That guy, a great guy. There were so many wonderful people that I met. <laughs> Donald, like you said, there were a couple of times I was talking to someone and someone would come by at the Washington Duke. They tap me the shoulder. They go, I love your podcast. They they would hear my voice and they would just, it was, it was really wonderful. I had a fabulous time. I can't get to Durham enough. This is just, it was, it was great. It was really great. That's great. That's awesome. Uh, you know, on the, on the class, I know in, in a couple of months uh, after the season's done, I'm going up to Detroit for the NFL draft and I'm going to be speaking uh, at my, school and my not my not my middle school i didn't go to middle school i went to the high school but the yeah. country day uh the middle school teacher there who's doing a podcast unit said you need to come and teach these kids how to do podcasts so uh, i'm gonna be speaking to some middle I love school it. in a couple months so i'm gonna i'm gonna ask for for some tips on how to sit there and look look like i'm i'm an expert at this stuff because because <laughs> we learn about this stuff every single day we, we we're, we're very we're very learning people but uh great great time for you in the in the gothic one only and of course jason the most important thing is you brought home two wins for us so we appreciate you. you for doing that so that will do it for episode 595 of the duke basketball roundup thank you as always for listening we will be back later on this week we have another game this weekend against florida state we hit the road for a couple of games so it's time to really get focused because you know 
The road games are big tests for Duke as we get closer and closer and closer to March. Stay connected with us, of course, on social media, dbrpodcast at gmail.com, and also Home Field Apparel. Jason, the big four shirt is the lucky shirt. Jason's worn it. You need to get it. It's on Home Field Apparel. Use the code dbrpodcast to save 15% off your first order. And also click the links on our link tree. We have a bunch of links to MyBookie and, and Fanatics and Home Field Apparel. Anything you want here place the latest bets whatever you need to do we got you so for jason i am donald this is now time for the duke band play us out and take us home